Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Danae and I are having a conversation about just really paying attention and and becoming more aware of how or what other people activate in us, in particular women. Mm. And Danae, you were talking about like a revelation or realization that you had based on, on somebody that you noticed some kind of annoyance or activation. There were two people. Well, there was the, the girlfriend of somebody who I won't name. <laughs> and then this other person. And that was like, when you were like, huh, I wonder what this is. Well, it's, it's interesting. I don't think for me, it's an annoyance so much as it's a very much like, you know, you know about me that I'm like a very, I will lean on my introversion when I don't feel safe around people. And when I don't feel like, um, I can really sort of drop into safety with people. I tend to recoil a little bit. And we've sort of joked in the past that like, if you and I weren't, um, like if the first day at grad school, you had not come up to me at the table and like claimed me as your own, you would probably be one of those people um, that I know about myself that I would probably recoil a little bit from your energy because it can be very strong, very assertive, very um, like clear and to the point. And I often joke like a New Yorker <laughs> and, um, and, you know, like I, I feel like I get curious about about that dynamic, um, about what it is in, in women and other women sometimes that either makes us feel more safe or less safe. And, you know, there's this whole thing that we are constantly exploring around the mother wound. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what the mother wound is, it's not so much, um, the ways that we are wounded by our mothers. It is a little bit, but it's more what patriarchal culture does to us as women and what is passed down generationally from mothers to their daughters. Um, a lot of that has to do with self-hatred and, um, self-judgment, putting ourselves into boxes of like who we need to be in order to mm -hmm. be acceptable. And, um, I don't know, I feel like there is often, it's just interesting. Like you and I will have conversations around, like, there's a certain type of energetic in women that I will feel really safe around that sometimes will activate you and vice mm -hmm. versa, like an energetic that like, you're like, oh, like her energy, like I totally get. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. And I think a lot of it does have to do with, you know, our mothers, the, the experience of our adolescence and what we, we sort of grew up around with other women and like, well, so if I think about the kind of energy or personality or I guess behaviors. I feel like for me, it's usually women who are very, um, sexual hmm. and I don't even know if that's the right word. It's like, there's something about somebody who feels very sure of themselves, especially in their sexuality, their femininity, maybe their, um, like power as a woman. Yeah. That to me can be very um, standoffish or confronting or like mm -hmm. it, it really, and irritates actually is the word that I'll use. Like it really irritates me. Um, and I think, you know, we have somebody that we went to grad school with who I had a, some kind of reactions to, and, and I mean, I wasn't the only one. I know there was a few women who did too. And there was that energy for sure in this person. And I, and I don't think I realized it until obviously after the fact sitting with it, like, what is it about women who are very like full, fully in their embodied sexuality, I suppose, um, that really irritate me. And, you know, like, you know, this might probably not all of our listeners too, but I'll, I'll out myself here on, on this episode that when I was in college, um, I worked at Hooters and I bartended for years, right with uh, short skirts and boobies out and made lots of money on my looks. Right. And at some point in my life, probably around my mid twenties, um, that stopped for me. Like 
I don't even remember now the last time I wore like a low cut shirt, you know, something that I felt like was overtly, um, I know sexual is not maybe in the right word, but like sexual in nature, as far as like how I was dressing. And, and now the thought of that actually makes me really uncomfortable. Like when I wear things that are very like exposing, I actually feel very uncomfortable in my skin. Like I'm, I'm just, I don't feel confident at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't like my body. Cause it's not necessarily like a body image thing for me. I just, it's almost like I feel uncomfortable that that is the first thing that people see versus maybe seeing like my personality first or like my intelligence first or, um, you know, like how I carry myself first in like a confidence way that I, I like completely shy away from it. And even though I really kind of went there for a long time, it's totally changed for me. And so I don't know if there's something in the fact that now for me, I don't like it, that it now turns me off so much in other women, because I don't remember that activation being there when I was younger, you know, this is such an interesting conversation to me. And I'm curious to know, as you drop in a little bit to the experience of it, if it has to do with anything around the way that you imagine you will be perceived by other women. And here's why I, I mean, you're obviously a very attractive woman. I could see that if you were to, um, quote lead with, um, your external, that, that, that sometimes can be off-putting to other women, right? Like, whereas if you, um, in well, our, it's in our, putting to me, <laughs> so yeah, well, but well, yeah, but that's like their shadow in that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm rejecting that part of myself because or if, if I have judgment about that in someone else, it's, it's clearly a judgment I have around myself, right? That like, um, I am more than just my face. I am more than just my body. I want to be experienced that way. And other people should too. I can't mm-hmm. tolerate you not leading with your intelligence and mm-hmm. your, all of the other aspects of you. It's interesting because we were having this conversation about like, I, I wonder if there's something about like the competitive nature around, like you, you had said something about like back, you know, when I was younger, that used to be like almost like a way that I, I like knew I would get attention from men. And like, yeah. it's almost something you can trade on. And that I think sometimes we meet women there with contempt. Mm. Yeah. Like you're just getting attention. Like it's certainly something most of us experience in our adolescence. Like the girls that got a lot of attention from the guys. Well, I also got were that, rejected. Right. I mean, look, that was part of my dynamic of growing up. Right. Like I have a mom who's very attractive, commercially attractive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when she was younger, she was a young mom when she had me and she, she always led with her looks and also simultaneously was like her own biggest critic, like ripped herself apart, Mm. always calling herself fat, always calling herself this, always calling herself that. And yet very much could turn on this energy that was like that goddess energy where like you walk into a room and it's like everyone's head turns Mm. male or female. Um, and sometimes there was, there was, there was competition. Like she was very competitive with me when I was growing up, like when I hit a certain age and I started getting attention from guys, I did feel competition from her. And for, I think for me, when I hit 18 and I started working in the restaurant industry and the bar industry, um, that was my space. She couldn't touch me there. Uh, you know, we weren't in the same environment anymore. So I got to go out and be the sexual one. I got to go out and like, be the one that the guys looked at and that got the attention, um, that she couldn't like take away from me. Um, and I, I guess I did that for a while and, and yeah, I don't know if it's a contempt to other women thing, this one person I'm thinking about in particular, um, the relationship in grad school, there was something that was really annoying about how the otherwise very intelligent men would turn into something else when she would walk into a room and turn it on because there was a turning on and off of this energy that this person could do. And it always seemed exceptionally obvious to me when she turned it on and turned it up. Like there was, a, there was an inauthenticity to me about it because I could tell when she turned it up and when she didn't. And when she turned it up, the men around us would turn into something different. And I would sit back and just be so disgusted by the whole 
show of it. Okay. And why? Because there's a power there. She's wielding a sense of power over men that we know the feminine holds, which is so much of why patriarchy has attempted to contain shame, make the feminine wrong, because there's a power there that cannot be contained, that cannot mm -hmm. be understood by the masculine energetic, right? Mm -hmm. So why do you think the fact that men were disarmed by it felt ick? I don't know. To me, what's coming up is almost like my, my, my kind of inner, like it, like what's coming up is like, we've done so we've come so far. We've done so much to be looked at as equals quote unquote, and like to be taken seriously and like be respected intellectually that it felt like you're fucking taking us backwards. Yeah. I think that's fascinating to me because we've had this conversation, right. In order to sort of rise in our quote power as women when the feminist movement rose what we did was become women that sort of behaved like wounded masculine energy right very linear very task very conquer very you know intellectual right but what we did was disarm all of our feminine power our intuition our fluidity our playfulness our sensuality right like those are all the elements of the feminine that have nothing to do with like what what we think of when we think of as feminist feminism mm -hmm. right like that's not who our mothers raised us to be as feminists but that's like such a complete disregard of our core and our innate wisdom, you know, like a, a, a fundamental part of who we are that we were really conditioned to, um, to reject as much as patriarchy rejected it. It's such like, it's, it's self-hatred. It's like a, such a, like a turning the, the hatred inward for like some, some part of our core. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it goes back to like, there's this thing that, um, it's also this, like when I see certain women, <laughs> um, do this like feigned helplessness act too, which this person also did sometimes too, um, that we're talking about. That was another thing that would really kind of set me off. So I guess, I guess you're right. And it's almost like a yes. And it's like, if, if I'm looking at, I can look at myself and say, there's a lot of those parts of myself that I probably shut down and lived more in the hyper-masculine because of what I've been kind of raised to believe is feminism and equality. Right. And like the, and part of this would be, I think there's an activation in me in the women who do the extreme opposite as well, because to me, that's not healthy either. Like to me, that's also an, a, a swing to the other end of the spectrum. Right. So it's like the feigned helplessness, which absolutely makes me want to like rip my hair out of my head. Mm -hmm. It's that, like, like I said, turning it on and off, like I think it would be one thing if you're somebody who walks in and you, cause I know women that are like this, that are just embodied sexuality and are just charismatic. And it's just who they are. Like there's no turning it on and turning it up. Like it is who they are. They are that all the time. You know, there's something about the people that I can sit back and watch them play with the dials that that is, I think what bothers me because that feels inauthentic to me. And I get it. It's power. And, and all of us male or female have different powers that we do wield when we feel appropriate. Um, but that I think is for me that the triggering point is like that kind of personality dynamic. And that might not even just necessarily be like a women in sexuality thing. That might be like an anybody just being with my intuitive nature, like watching people who show up and can be that chameleon in a way that like is manipulative or feels manipulative to me, that I think is what, what gets me. Well, what you're talking about is the differentiation between wounded feminine energy and healthy feminine energy, right? right? So right. wounded feminine energy is manipulative, right. is desperate, is needy, is clingy, is insecure, right? All of those right. things are wounded feminine. Needs Hel that sexual uh, mirroring back to them to actually feel okay in who they are. To, right? to have a sense of self, right? Yeah. It's externalized power. Internalized power within the feminine is I tap into my intuition. I tap into my sensuality for me. Um, one of 
a spiritual teacher that I really love, Sri Mati, talks about how my relationship with sex is my relationship with source within mm. myself. It has nothing to do with my partner. You know, it has to do with the transcendent energy of where I came from and connecting to that for and with myself, you know? Um, and I feel like I very much have had, as I've come into my forties, like this realization that I very much like you're talking about, like all of that sexual energy had um, not only been dormant, but like really like I disassociated from for so mm. many years of my life for precisely the, the reason that we're talking about. Cause I was raised to be what I would argue was like a very wounded masculine woman, you know, right, like same. just, yeah. Like, it's just like who I was raised to be. I was really raised to feel a lot of contempt, like women that, you know, quote led with sex. I remember just like being a little like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like whatever. And I realized that we can't selectively numb, right? It's like Brene Brown always says, like there's something that has been so liberating for me in coming into like my relationship with my sensuality and with my body and with like clothes that I feel good in that might like be more exposing is really not about how I'm experienced by um, men or women, frankly. It's about like what makes me feel empowered within myself. And I do think that that's like a... Um, like to me, it feels like an active form of resistance. Like, no, you don't mm. actually get to tell me that I can't be in my feminine patriarchy. Like this is actually for and with me. Um, and I think that that you're right. Like a lot of what we're responding to is the way that patriarchy has um, classified femininity, which is like a really wounded feminine, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, this is what feminine energy is. It's weak and it's needy and it's clinging and yeah, wounded, but mm. healthy feminine actually is not that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about like, I think also for me, like I'm, I'm thinking back to myself in my twenties and like maybe some of those shifts that were going on. And I also started noticing, I mean, I am not going to pretend in any way that I haven't used that energy or that power, if you will, mm -hmm. to get what I want, how I want, when I want that kind of thing. Um, but I also like, there's, there's a part of me that always felt very, uh, empowered by the fact that after that shift around like 25, I was able to use that energy, but in a way that wasn't overt. Mm. So you know, I was able to be the person in the room that wasn't showing really any skin, but, it, but I could still use that energy and that dynamic, um, through personality mm -hmm. and in a way, almost most likely when I look back, probably almost like honed my extroversion skills in a way where like, I'm, I'm a very good conversationalist. Like, you know, this about me, I can have a conversation with anybody mm -hmm. and I'm, I can pretty much get anybody to like me within the first like five minutes of meeting me because, and it's not that it's fake. I just like, I'm, I connect with people really easily. And I, I genuinely am curious. Like I want to know, and I'm, I ask questions and I, you know, and I almost felt like that was probably more of my way in to use my power. And, and I don't know if I like sharpen that tool because the other one I put away, but then I guess you're right. I mean, is that more of the masculine energy and would the more feminine side of me be the more sensual side? that I ignored. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, and I think each of us has to define ourselves for ourselves, but how can I be in the space of both are welcome, you know, and, and we've had this conversation, you know, about this, about me, that there was a period, especially like earlier in this year, when I started to come into this obsession with these masculine and feminine dynamics and this realization of like, oh my gosh, all this, feminine energy has been dormant that like my feminine kind of went crazy. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to be as sexual as I want. I'm going to be as free and fluid and receiving and all of the things. And what I have since realized is for me, a lot of the awarenesses that I don't want to, and, and it's certainly not healthy to reject my masculine altogether. Right. Meaning I need to have healthy masculine energy. I need to be boundaried and fiercely protective of myself and, um, holding space and witnessing myself. All of these like healthy masculine things are necessary as well. I don't have to be competitive and controlling and, 
all of, you know, like fixing mm-hmm. and all of these things that I was, you know, sort of raised, like, this is, this mm-hmm. is what you do. Um, masculine energy that is healthy and needs to be present within me. Isn't that, you know, it's just like, how do we sort of like allow ourselves to integrate the parts of us that are there? You know, I just, I think they're, they're a lot of times dormant because what, if, what society has told us we're allowed to be. Yeah. It makes me think about too, like the men in my life that I've been in deep relationship with and how, how much more feminine energy they Mm -hmm. had, right. Or have, (laughs) um, versus how I show up very masculine. Um, and you know, knowing that I, I don't think up until very recently, I would have been able to be in a relationship with a man, you know, I mean, as a heterosexual that, was really empowered in his masculine because Mm -hmm. it would have felt like competition to me. Right. Um, because I was never really able to show up my feminine, but again, what's interesting is that like, while I'm saying that my mom really used her sexuality and her looks to kind of get what she needed in life and get where she wanted to go in life. Um, at the same time, there was a lot of judgment of other women who did the same thing. Oh yeah. It's competition. It's right. It's like, and that's the part where it's like, the self-hatred in terms of our healthy feminine that like has been so, this is the mother wound. This is what has been so deeply ingrained within us is, um, you know, now I feel like I'm at a point where like, when I catch myself in that space of activation with another woman, I want to be really curious about it. Right. Mm. Because it's like, Ooh, there is some shadow something here, right. That is being activated. And, you know, you were asking me before, and I think what it is, is sometimes like, a strong masculine energy that reminds me of, you know, who I felt like I had to be. I do feel like intuitively when I was a child, I was a very like feminine child. Like I was very like dancing around a musical theater in my bedroom and in my world of make-believe. And it was very like held with contempt for being silly, you know? Mm. And so I feel like sometimes when women are like really in strong masculine, like clear delineated energy. I feel a little like I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be met with like, you're, you're silly or like the way that you are in terms of your intuition and way of being in the world is kind of nonsensical. Um, and so I think I, I get a little bit like I'm looking for warmth in order to feel safe with you. Mm. Right. And as soon as I feel that, then I'm like, oh, okay, you're safe, but that's totally like childhood wound stuff that I can recognize. But I think it's, you know, I always come back to the story you told me, and I don't know if you want to tell the story about John with the earring, but I think it's, I use that example with clients a lot around how I think we as women are not even aware of how hungry we are to be able to soften into our feminine until it's sort of like a man really, and and obviously we're speaking really heteronormatively in this conversation, but um, until a man like really rises in his masculine and then all of a sudden the ability to just sort of like, like exhale into the receptive mode, intuitively, like on a primal level feels so good. Do you want to tell yeah, that story? So if you guys haven't heard me, I think I might've told this on a, it's not me, it's you episode, but, and it will also be in our book because apparently it is a very big story for me that I tell a lot, which makes sense. Um, it was, it was a while ago, a few years ago, and I was getting ready for clients. I had like back-to-back clients in the morning and, um, one of my earrings fell out into the sink and went down the drain. And I was like really learning late. I think I had like five minutes to get ready. And I remember being like, <laughs> like stomping around, like being pissed off because I was <laughs> rushing. I was pissed and I couldn't get it out. And John like came running up, like what happened? Thinking I got hurt. And I started being like, okay, my earring fell in the sink. Just leave it alone. I put a, we had one bathroom at the time in our apartment. I just put like a towel over it. I was like, do not use the sink. Just I'll figure it out when I get done. Right. I can't even think about this right now. I'm late. Hmm. So I ran upstairs um, and I had like four back to back. So I only had like five minutes in between clients. Uh, and at one point I came down when I had a little bit of time to try to kind of tackle it. And the earring was on the counter and he was like, oh, I found it. And I was like, what? Like, first of all, I'm not being a jerk, but like John doesn't really even know how to swing a hammer. Like he's not that kind of guy. So I was like, what do you mean you found? Like, how did you do this? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, oh, well, you know, he not only did he figure it out, but like 
he needed a certain kind of wrench because it was like, you know, an S curve pipe. And so he like went to the hardware store, got the wrench that he needed, came back, took the pipe apart, got the earring out. Not only did he get the earring out, but he actually cleaned up after himself and put everything back the way that it was, mm. which you can tell by the way I'm saying this is like incredulous to me, right? Because there's some expectation along the way of like, number one, I have to figure it out and do it myself, right? Number two, if he tries, he's going to fuck it up somehow. Number three, even if he gets through point one and point two, he's going to leave a mess and I'm still going to have to clean it up, right? So at some point along the way, I was expecting one, two or three to happen and they didn't. And actually I didn't even go into it with any expectation. I mean, I told him, let me just do it. I'll figure it out. And I was kind of like floored. And I don't think I realized how floored I was until I started telling basically all of my friends about this thing, like, oh my God, he did this thing. And then I remember like a couple of weeks later talking about it in like third person about how I'd like, oh, I told this person about this thing you did. And he was like, you never said anything to me. Hmm. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, you said, thank you, but you never like told me how big of a deal this was to you. Like, why did you tell everybody else, but you didn't tell me? And I actually still don't have an answer for that, to be honest. I, I really don't know why I didn't tell him, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there was something really, I don't know. I was just like bowled over by that experience clearly to the point where I've retold the story a million times. I think it's vulnerable to tell him that. And I think it's, um, I feel that every time you tell me that story, I feel it so deep in my body, I, and which is fascinating to me because I think that it is such, like it speaks to the wound for so many of us, you know, um, because I feel you and I feel, and have done that have been that in a marriage of like, don't touch it. I'll handle it. I got this. I can't receive. I don't need you. I've got me. Um, that energetic that I think is one, I think, you know, if we, again, like speaking in heteronormative terms, like what that does to the men in our lives, um, what they, would they have to sort of I don't know what they're not able to step into and be. I do think that the masculine um, really feels um, fulfillment and like like passion and like all of these like good feeling feels when they are able to give to the feminine. Um, if well, you- but what's interesting though is that you have also told me like just leave the leave the suitcases in the car even if you can get it. Like let them do it. It makes them feel good. <laughs> and I remember being like. Oh my God. Like rolling my eyes and being like, Danae, I'm not doing that. It's a fucking tiny suitcase. I've got this. And there are things that I will do with him sometimes, like taking the knots out of my necklace. Like clearly I can handle that on my own, but I'm always like, can you do this for me? Because you're really good at it. And like, yeah, he's good at it. But also like, I don't want, I don't, there's something about the earring that felt so genuine because it wasn't me being like, can you please help me with this? It was like, he just handled it without me having to like, give it to him as a thing to do. But see, that to me is wounded masculine energy, babe, because like, it's not about, I can't do these things. It's about, I love you enough that I want to like, give you space to do things that I know make you feel good as a man. Like, and sorry, this is not what we are raised to feel is like who we should be. This is not like, there are going to be feminists that will hear me say that and very much like feel um, repellent of that. And I'm standing by it because I think that there are some like, ways that we are not meeting one another if we're talking about polarity that continues to create um attraction and you know otherness it's like we can't both be fighting to be the alpha here at some point if i can't receive from my masculine then what is the point to him of being there that like that's real and i i've experienced that in a marriage where it's like why do you need me here if you're just going to be the man for yourself why am i here um and so, it, yeah, I don't think it's about pretending that I can't do this. It's about, I know how this makes you feel to be able to hold space for me in this way. And I love you enough to offer you that, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I am capable of, I, I'm a single woman. I can do everything by myself. I do pretty much. And I think there's something about like, what is lovely about someone being able to hold space for us in that way. You know, I think there are all these things that like, until I had a very masculine energy come at me and be like, Hey, I got this at me without like <laughs> giving me the space to argue. I had no idea how hungry I was to be able to drop into my feminine and receive in that way. I think there's something that is like a, 
an alchemical shift within us that we sort of drop back into something primal. And again, I know there are going to be people who really struggle with hearing me say this and it's a hill I'm willing to die on because I have seen how many of the couples I work with when they start to allow, and this isn't, you know, there are going to be spaces in our lives where we're going to be more in our masculine. I am much more in my masculine as a mother. I am much more in my masculine when I am working. And when I am with a man, I want to give myself permission to be a little bit more in my feminine energy in his presence. I just do. It feels good. It feels amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I've heard kind of over and over again in this relationship, obviously, because I'm in a relationship with somebody who has like the ability to articulate it. I'm sure my past relationships would have said similar things if they kind of had the language, but where it's like one of the struggles that he's had since day one and, and he's never, I should say articulate, he's never really been able to put it into like specific language, but he's always said since meeting me, there's something about you that's so different than the other women I've been with. Um, in the fact that like, he says, I don't, he said like melt and I'm using air quotes. If you guys can't see me. Hmm. You don't melt into me. You don't, um, you know, you, you, you're not the kind of person that like, when I walk in the door, you like run up to me and wrap your legs around me. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't like, and he, they're literal examples that he's given. Hmm. And, you know, as he's said, different kind of forms of this over the years, it, the part of me, especially at the beginning was like, no, I'm not like, that's not how I am. Um, and, and there is a little bit of that, like repulsion where I'm like, I don't need to be rescued. I don't need to be saved. You know, I'm not going to like, I don't fawn. I'm like, I'm not that kind of woman, whatever. Um, and that's been a struggle for him because I think he's actually dated a lot of very wounded feminine, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and it's funny that he's like flipped now to like the wounded masculine, I guess in me, but, um, I have tried to figure out like, what is a healthy balance? So like, what can feel authentic because I also think that's my work is to really find authenticity in myself, um, especially as somebody who struggles with codependency. Mm -hmm. How can I tap into more of my feminine without it feeling fake and without it feeling forced? Because the bottom line is, yes, I was raised that way. I was raised to kind of be very repulsed by the women who like use their sexuality and like, you know, all these things we've talked about. And while I want to, and I've been on this journey since 2016, I think when I found, well, earlier than that, but when I found Pacifica and started going to grad school to learn about and to embody more of my feminine, but I still struggle with how much of that, or what does that look like where it still feels authentic to me and it doesn't feel fake or forced. And I, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I think it's something I'm like playing with because no fawning over him is, does not feel authentic to me. It's just not how I am, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, um, there's something about like the fawning that I'm having, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I really, I want to find another word and I'm like, I'm grappling to find the word. Um, I want to be in deep awe of the man that I'm in love with in terms of his, like, I want to be in deep awe and admiration and trust, trust. Mm -hmm. I want to trust the man that I'm with. That is big. I was taught to never trust a man. That is like, I, I'm going to cry as I'm saying this mm -hmm. because it's so, um, there's a lot, uh -huh. like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and it has really like caused a lot of, um, pain you know, um, like I watched my parents have a lot of pain around that. I watched, um, in my own relationships that there was pain in that, like, you can't trust a man. He will let you down, brace for it, be ready for it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it's so like, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm so emotional <laughs> for some reason. Um, I think it really like caused me to like cut myself off from like being like able to be present with people. Like I would like, you know, like just be so like in That's my head. Bracing. Yeah. Like guarding against like, what's he doing that I don't know about or how's he going to screw up or how's he going to let me down? Like so much of, of that. And I just feel so ready to put that down. Like if I don't, like we control what we don't trust. And if I don't trust you, I don't believe I love you really. You know, mm -hmm. I couldn't really love a man 
um, that I didn't trust. And I was just like, it was so deeply ingrained in me to not trust men. And I think so much of this is like the healing that has come with working with men so intimately as a therapist mm -hmm. and seeing the tenderness mm -hmm. of who they oh really God, yeah. are. And like the, working with men is my favorite, honestly. I oh love my God. Like, it's just been so healing for me to like really know men on that level of an intimate level. Um, and I needed it be like, I needed to like have that internally for me to like heal my relationship with men. And yeah, like, I don't know if fawning, there's still something about that word that I get it. It feels a little like, eh. but right. I, well, but that's what he's talking. Like he's talking about. And I mean, listen, knowing his past relationships, I think fawning is the right word. Right. And that's why I say, like, I think there was a real wounded, wounded feminine that he tended to be attracted to. Right. Um, and I think that that wounded feminine made him feel more masculine. Mm. And I think that a lot of what we struggle with is the fact that I'm not, I, I obviously have my own wounded feminine, but I, I think because I am in my masculine so much all the time, most of the time, it makes him feel less masculine. Right. And so that's the struggle that we have, but I think what you're saying about this idea of being told not to trust men, it's so interesting because it's the exact same lesson that I learned growing up, but it wasn't about like, don't trust them because they'll, they'll screw up or let you down. It was just, don't trust them. They're incompetent. Well, same. <laughs> that was right, in there too. Saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So like for me, it's the, it's not necessarily like what, like needing to know what you're doing. Cause I don't trust that you're like being trustworthy. Cause I'm almost like to the extreme on that, where I've always been very much like, I don't care, like do what you want, like have as many girl, like female friends as you want. I've, I struggle so much to even like register jealousy. Like it's something that I don't even, I mean, I get it. It's a normal human emotion. And for me, it's like so turned down that it's hard for me to even like see it being there. Um, so like when I think of trust, I think of like, you are not capable of doing anything for you or me or us. So I have to do it all. Right. That's like, that is, that's the way it showed up for me as far as the lack of trust. Totally. And so that obviously clearly has bled into all of my relationships too, because it's like the only person I can trust, only person I can rely on is myself. Right. I can't rely on anybody because everyone will fuck it up. Actually, that's not even just a man thing. Everybody's going to fuck this shit up. I'm the only person <laughs> that can handle it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it all comes from the same place, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a, it's a lack of trust in the emotional landscape, the complexity of the emotional landscape of men. Like it's such a cultural narrative of like, I mean, look at like our sitcoms, like dad's the buffoon dad's like out of it. He doesn't like, and that carries into, I see so many women that like, they talk about their husbands and there's just such a lack of like fundamental respect for who they are. And I'm yeah. like, Ooh, God. And yes. And listen, I mean, like, yeah. please don't hear that as judgment. Cause I've been there. And yeah. I think that that is really short-sighted. And I think that to your point, a lot of times what men are just so hungry for is feeling seen. And if we like, you know, so often I'm working with couples attempting to repair after, um, infidelity and what it is, is like, she saw me. She saw me. Yeah. She saw me as a human with, you know, complexity and richness. And treated and, me like a human. Yeah. And I don't get that at home. And so I, yeah. you know, I was so hungry for that, desperate for that, that I needed it. And I feel like it's really sort of been a powerful education for me and that like men are just as complex as we are. We do such a disservice, not only to ourselves, but to the collective society to mm -hmm. pretend otherwise and men are in pain around this. Well, so what know? do you think about this idea that everybody's talking about right now that a lot of psychologists have been writing about this idea of like feigned incompetence? Do you, you know about this? Like, so there's this, like, I don't think it's a new term, but it's gotten a lot of steam recently. There's been a lot of articles written around it about, um, especially within our patriarchal system. Um, and I, how I've seen it written about is within like heterosexual relationships, but, uh, men feigning incompetence in order to get out of work, like having like, whether that be emotional work, whether that be physical labor, whether that be child labor, like child labor, like child rearing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but actually feigning incompetence. And I was having a conversation with my neighbor the other day. And I was like, I think that's real. And I think 
I don't think it's fair to point a finger entirely at men and say that it's all conscious. I think a lot of that is unconscious because I think they're raised in a society where they are actually raised to believe that in a lot of ways they are incompetent. And I think they're just acting out what they've been raised to believe. Right. And acting in response to what we have been raised to believe. Right. Meaning I believe that people rise to the expectations that we set for them. If the expectation was Mm -hmm. John, I dropped my earring. Can you please help me? I need some help with this. Can you figure this out while I go teach my class? If that was my like core expectation of my man, whenever these things sort of, you know, came up, there would probably be a different um, way of interacting with one another, but our way of being, and it, and it's a, it's a dance between both sexes. Don't like, this is not me pointing the mm-hmm. finger at either sex. Like we, on both sides, we have been raised, like we have been traced, we have been raised not to trust them and they have been raised to feel we are not trustworthy, right? Like it's that thing of like, if someone has told you forever, you're the buffoon, you can't handle it. Just do what your wife tells you. Happy wife, happy life. Just go along with it. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how often I work with couples where they come in because the woman wants to feel more connected to her husband. Right. Mm -hmm. And the man's like, I don't know. Everything's fine. I have no qualms about our marriage. I don't, whatever. Right. We start doing the work and the six weeks in inevitably he is pissed off and ready to talk about it. And there's so much stuff that's been underneath the surface that nobody has given him space language, whatever, you know, like Mm -hmm. I start asking questions that nobody has ever asked him as a man. And it's like, Oh wow. There's a tornado Mm -hmm. of feelings about this dynamic. And you know, the woman's like, wait, why did I, why did I bring him Uh here all of a sudden? But what ends up happening is all of a sudden we, we start to meet one another a little bit more on par as equals, right? Because Mm -hmm. he's not just the buffoon quote, going along to get along. And I'm not the one carrying everything, feeling resentment. It's just this dance of like how we've both been conditioned to be in the world. I don't think it's just them and their feigned incompetence. I think it's us and you're not trustworthy to do anything. Right. And Mm -hmm. we've both been raised in these dynamics. Yeah. John and I were having a conversation the other day. I think we might've even done a podcast around it. And we were talking about the, the example we were talking about is in the mornings, getting, getting our kiddo ready for school and how a couple months ago, I just said to him, like, you need to do more. Like, I, mm-hmm. I need you to do more. Like you need to handle X, Y, and Z in the mornings, like just handle it. Right. And anyway, he was talking about it and he used the word assist <laughs> and he said, you know, like a lot of times, like, it's just, I'm, I'm assisting. And he, he used this word like two or three times and he wasn't saying that word in any way to irritate me, but there was something about that word that fucking made me mad. And I said it, I was like, I don't like that word. You're not assisting me. This is our kid. You need to be doing the same. Right. But in his defense of using that word, it feels to him like he's assisting me because I'm the boss and he's the employee that gets told what to do. And if like our directive is raising this child, I'm the boss and raising this child. And he's just waiting for me to tell him what to do. And I don't know what the solution is to that because the bottom line is like, yes, in some regards, like I am the boss, like I'm the mom. And like, she looks to me like the boss too. And I, and I get there's energy in that, that I feed into that with my energy. Um, a little bit of that has to be like, okay, you need to just take her and go away and do your own thing and not have me be around it in any way. But I remember being like mad and being like, why do you need to assist? Like, you know what it takes to get yourself ready in the morning. Like, would you go to school without brushing your teeth? No. So, you know, just brush your teeth. Don't wait for me to ask you just brush your teeth. Right. So this is that feigned incompetence thing that I'm talking about where it's like, but I'm assisting you and I'm going, no, you're not, you know how to fucking brush somebody's teeth, brush your teeth. And so this is, I also see this in dynamics a lot myself, but also couples where it's like, yes, they feel like they've been emasculated in a lot of ways. And I don't know as a woman how to step out of that and just be like, I'll tell you, I don't know. Step out of that. It's the HWIC, the head woman in charge thing, right? And I've been on both sides of this coin and you know this, I have been the one in charge. And then what happened was my marriage ended and all of a sudden I had no choice but to stay out of it because he wasn't with me half the time, right? And so if you remove yourself, ladies, from the equation, they'll figure it out and it probably won't be the way that you would do it. 
some of it'll be better than the way you'll do it. That's the funny thing. But so much of this is our like needing to micromanage how it's going to be done and making sure our child is safe. And I don't believe in you. And I think you're going to mess it up. And that's the ownership we have to take. Like, I got to remove myself from it. I got to say like, when you're with your dad, you're with your dad. I don't know, figure it out. It's not for me to figure out. It's just as much your child as it is mine. And I trust that you will. And I trust that you love our kid as much as I love our kid. And listen, I've been that woman that is like, you know, in there, like, no, do it. No, you know, like trying to make sure that it's done. And what I will say is I have been delightfully surprised on two fronts. One, how much when, you know, I trust in his father, he rises to the occasion and a lot of times does it better than I would, Mm -hmm. but also, um, the freedom it has given me and how much like I feel lighter not having to carry all of the weight that I was carrying when it was just all my responsibility, you know? Yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I would love to be in a place sometimes where I can remove myself. I mean, I don't know that that's like the case, like logistically that that's the case for me. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it just takes work on my part to just I don't know, step back and just allow it to unfold the way that it's going to unfold. But I, I can hear my female clients, like my women clients in my head being like, yeah, and I will step back and she just won't be dressed or have her teeth brushed. Like, what do you do in that situation? Like where you say, I need your help. And they say, how, what can I do? Because I've seen that look for men. It's like, well, what do you need me to do? What can I do? How can I help? And I've heard there was a there was a podcast that um, Glennon Doyle when when it was her, her sister, and and Abby all did together, and it was this like, I don't want you to ask me what on my list you can do. I don't want to be the carrier of the list. Like, just you should know what the list is too. And I don't know how that delineation happens. Like, how do we both step into a healing space mutually? where I say, I don't want to own this list. I don't want to have to tell you what to do because <laughs> I don't, I, I don't like I the way that say, feels. That feels like shit for me too. I got to say, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of victimization in that. That's a little bit of codependency, right? Like if I say, yeah, her teeth might not get brushed for a day. The sky is not going to fall if I sort of allow for them to get in their own rhythms and figure it out. And here's why it's easier for me because I can't control what he's going to do with his dad, but there's still that, like, if it's in my face and I'm watching it, then I'm aware that they're not brushing the teeth. And that feels intolerable to me. I got to get in there. I got to control that. I got to make sure that's okay. But if I'm not watching, if I say, you know what, in the mornings I go work out, I'm not here. Whatever goes down is what's going to go down. I don't think Logan's teeth are going to fall out from like two days, but eventually he will get into the rhythm. But see, that's a lack of trust. That is like, that's a little bit of a God complex. comes from experience though. This is the thing. Like, how do you trust when your, when experience has told you that literally she might not ever get her fucking teeth brushed. And like, we're using this example, like truly I do believe you brush your teeth, but like I'm using that because I know that there are plenty of women out there that are going, yeah, exactly. Like she literally will have her teeth fall out of her fucking head before he, he says, oh, I have to brush her teeth. But Do doesn't I mean? that sort of back up everything that we've been saying about a lack of trust in men and that they're not going to yeah. rise to those expectations if that's what we hold? If you really don't think that your partner is intelligent enough to brush his child's teeth, that's a problem, babe. You know? I don't like, think it's an legit. intelligence thing. I think it's an awareness If I'm John, I hear that. I think you think I'm not intelligent enough to brush my child's teeth. I mean, it's like, listen, <laughs> your face. I wish I think- the listeners could see your face right now. <laughs> I don't look at it as intelligence. I look at it as like awareness. It's like, um, it's like, these people that I've met in my life and I, and I hate to genderize this, but I will say I've met more women than men like this, where it's like, you know, we go to college or something and they've literally never done their own laundry. Right now, listen, I'm not blaming them for that. That's how they were raised. 
And this is part of the patriarchy. Why is it that every woman I've ever met knows how to do her own fucking laundry by the time she hits college? And I have met a lot of men that went to college and had never washed their own fucking drawers, right? That is not okay. <laughs> that is for sure how we are raising kids. But like the problem is, is that if you were raised as that boy that becomes a man that never washes own fucking drawers and then you get married or you are in a partnership, how does somebody learn that at 30, 40, 50 years old when they learn it when the overfunctioner stops doing it for them, baby. (laughs) Okay. Let me tell you, and I can say this as a recovering underfunctioner, I underfunctioned because people did shit for me. Stop doing it. Trust that he'll figure it out. Trust that like eventually he's going to get tired of not having any clean underwear. Shit. And I will say, I'm not shit talking. Like John, John does a lot and he handles a lot. And I feel bad. Like John, if you're listening, it's not me saying you. I'm not actually saying that you do this stuff, right? Like you do wash your own drawers. I'm not saying that. I'm really just John. For John, I'm using him as more of like an example, I think, because it's the relationship I'm in. But I really just, I'm think, I'm thinking really about like all the clients, like the like heterosexual, you know, couples that I've experienced. Not even actually, because even in same sex couples, there tends to still be oh, a dynamic like this, right? Um, the underfunctioner, overfunctioner, and like this wounded masculine, wounded feminine. Like I see it show up in same sex couples too. Absolutely. Um, here's what I will say: you and I could have these conversations until we're blue in the face, but until we as couples have these kind of conversations together, mm. it's not going to be one person, the one overfunctioner in the relationship, just deciding one day to stop overfunctioning. I don't believe that's the solution. It really does have to be a conversation between both. And guess what? People get defensive when you point out they're underfunctioning, <laughs> even if that's only in you accepting your overfunctioning. Because if I'm saying I'm an overfunctioner, then without saying it, I'm saying you're the underfunctioner. <laughs> so I feel like there is going to be some defensiveness in these conversations, but like, how else do you, how else do you attempt to work this shit out? It can't just be one person that's, that's changing their dynamic, right? I believe it is V. I believe that each of us have hundred percent responsibility for our autonomous selves, meaning if I feel resentment about the fact that I'm overfunctioning, I don't need to say anything to the underfunctioner. I need to stop functioning for them. That's on me. That's 100% my responsibility. That's not for me to tell you. That's for me to say, like, you are a grown man. I made the decision I'm not washing your drawers anymore. Period. Like, there doesn't mm-hmm. need to be resentment there. That's it. I don't like you either wash your clothes or you don't. You get to be an autonomous yeah. adult. Right. But so now, now take that laundry example, right? And and put it into like the kind of typical dynamics that we hear, right? When people come in to, to work with us. So if I were to take that dynamic and as the overfunctioner, I'm going to say, okay, like challenge accepted. I am going to stop overfunctioning in these areas, right? I'm going to let him be his own autonomous human being. Mm-hmm. Fine. Maybe I will resolve some of my resentment in those areas, but I will not resolve my resentment in other areas where I don't feel like I have an equal partner until I actually say to somebody, I can stop doing the overfunctioning, but if they don't then meet me there, they don't then start functioning, right? Not overfunct, just functioning. There's going to be resentment there because I'm going to have pulled back. They're potentially not going to have stepped forward. And then I'm going to be still left feeling like I'm doing it all myself. Like, no, we're not talking about like washing his underwear for him, but I'm talking about like around the house, for example, or like raising the kids, for example. Like if I work on myself and I say, okay, I'm going to stop over-functioning, there has to be some kind of conversation with the other person because that in itself is not going to stop the resentment because I don't believe that for a lot of people that in itself is going to create the functioning in the under-functioner. Do you know what I'm saying? I a hundred percent believe you that you don't believe it will. And I just, I strongly disagree. I kind of, you know, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Dr. Wade Dyer says, there are no justified resentments, period. End of yeah, sentence. Yeah, no, I agree with that. If you are resentment in the space of resentment, that is on you. And so, resentment yes. It's always on you. I believe it, that a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if I don't believe that if I stop, you will rise to the occasion, Yeah, that's on me. You know, it yeah. might not happen immediate. It might, like, right. I might have to sort of like surrender. It means I'm out of it. I am done yeah. in the space of over-functioning and it might take a while, but eventually this person's going to be like, yo, I guess the dynamic has changed and she's not doing these things for me anymore. But it, like surrender, it means like, 
like, I am out of it. I don't care if you never have clean underwear again. I'm not doing your underwear, period. But if I feel resentment, that is for me to say, yeah, that's that's for me to take responsibility for the way that I'm showing up that is your responsibility to show up for yourself. Yeah, so the thing, I guess what I'm struggling with is with resentment in particular. I always say to people like, there's two parts to untangling resentment. There's the ownership piece, right? So it's the tuning in for a lot of us. It's actually a practice. We're not good at it. We have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. We've just lived in resentment our whole lives. And so like my awareness is so kind of dull that I have to actually focus on turning it up and being like, Oh, what am I resentful for? What is that? Right. Not the, like, he doesn't do his own underwear. It's not usually the, the underwear. It's not about the underwear, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually something deeper than that. So it's like the step story one is the, I oh, tell myself about right. step one is the awareness piece. But I always say step two is then the communication piece, especially for those of us who struggle with communicating needs, with communicating wants, with communicating desires, right. Or emotions or whatever. It's like, okay, I've got the awareness and now my, and part of the awareness might be, I need to stop washing his drawers, right? Like that might actually come with that part one. But then part two to me would be like going to him and saying, listen, it's not actually about the drawers. Like we just said, it's like, but I, I do feel sometimes like I'm, I'm doing this by myself. And I have an awareness now that I have been wildly over-functioning and doing this for these reasons, whatever conversation you want to have around your part, you're hundred percent of the over-functioning. But I do think it's important for us to say in some way, here's a need that I realize isn't being met. Um, can we talk about that? Like, what would that look like if, if you could try to help me meet that need or whatever? Like, I don't know. I just feel like with resentment, it's, it can't just be that first part. Like it does have to be a communication in some way. Otherwise it's just going to keep coming back up again. But here's the challenge with this. And here's where I was the overfunctioner, or excuse me, I was the underfunctioner that very much had someone trying to communicate their needs to me. I did not care. I did not care about your needs. I could not meet you in your needs. Like I'll give the perfect example. My ex and I used to um, go to marriage therapy very early in our marriage. And he used to have so much resentment about the fact that I used to leave the cabinet doors open. It irked him. It felt like it was like, it's, <laughs> it's such a small example. Oh God, that would irk me too. <laughs> and I don't do it anymore, but here's what V. Like this yeah. example, like he went to our marriage. He's like, it's such a small thing, but it just like bothers me so much. It's like, who's coming behind you to close the cabinet doors, right? And mm -hmm. our therapist at the time was like, then stop closing the cabinet doors. You've talked to her about it. It doesn't change it. Eventually you keep closing and you keep carrying resentment about it. And he stopped closing the cabinet doors. And all of a sudden, all of these cabinet doors were still open. And I was like, oh, the cabinet doors are still open. <laughs> Perhaps I should close them. That's what he's talking about all the time. The cabinet doors are open, right? But as long as he was walking back behind me, closing the cabinet doors, I did not have to. And yes, we can go in the circular circular conversation for the rest of our lives. Of This is what I need from you. But the resentment comes back when the person doesn't do it from, you know, I'm really obsessed with this um, interdependence, meaning like I rise to my wholeness. I meet myself where I need to be as you know, a whole fully functioning adult, you can't do that for me. And I, I tell you, there are so many things that people used to function for me. And until the, I became a single woman who had no choice, but to rise to the occasion, like, I didn't know that I could be, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, like we can, I mean, and I'm not saying like not to communicate how we're feeling, but the resentment piece, like if I'm still going to be resentful when you're not meeting me there, I got to remove myself from it and say, I'm not going to be resentful. Cause that makes me feel ick. That doesn't feel good in my body. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my cabinet doors are closed all the time now and I live alone. <laughs> Oh my God. That's another Glennon Doyle and Abby thing. I think Glennon leaves the cabinet doors all the time open and Abby's always like, why do you do this? <laughs> you know, Ooh, I think Glennon. couples, it's so often, it's like, we want another person to sort of like be inside our heads and respond the of way course. that we would, right? Like we all do it. We've all like been there mm -hmm. and they're an autonomous human being. It's not personal. They're just not thinking about things the way that you are. Cause they're not you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I will say that John brings me water now at night. And that was something I communicated to him. <laughs> and now he does it. Remember? I, 
for John. I'm thinking of that example of when there was water running when we were recording a session once and John came in and you go, water. And he, he came running back in with a glass of water. And I'm like, you would have actually let her talk to you like that. I record in my garage and whenever water gets turned out of the house, like the water pipes go through our garage. And so it's like, and you could hear it. And so our rule when we're recording is like, don't use the water. So all of a sudden the water is going crazy. And I'm like, I texted him mid-record like water, meaning like, you know, I didn't want to text a long sentence. I'm like recording an interview or something. And he came out here with a glass of water and today it still tickles her because she thought that I was like, snap my fingers, water. And he just showed up with a glass of water, which that's actually what happened. I don't know why that tickles me so much. I really hope, John, I just want to, if you're listening to this episode, your partner holds you with such deep reverence, love and respect. I think a lot of these are examples that you are giving of like dynamics that we see play out with couples consistently, less about like your actual relationship. I just want to like make sure that's clear. I love you. We love you, John. I love it. Good conversation. I don't know, y'all. This is just Sinead and I constantly rolling around and trying to figure this shit out. Just like you. (laughs) Just like you. We're all in it. Good talk. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett. And at Danae Logan Selkin.